Welcome to the Florence Crossroad podcast. We're thrilled to share with you an exciting message from our weekend service. If you would like more information about who we are as a church and how to get involved, feel free to visit florencecrossroadag.org. We hope you have an amazing experience. This morning we're talking about building blocks, finding where you fit. Has anyone been somewhere or to some place where you just knew you did not fit, like you didn't belong? It was super awkward, right? All right, so funny story of my own. I was a junior in high school, the dark days. Just kidding. I was a junior in high school, and I was sitting in my guidance counselor's office. He was signing me up for classes, and I needed a PE class my fourth period. And so I asked him, you know, what what PE classes, what options do I have? And he says, you have only one option weight training. I asked him, I was like, are you sure? He says, yes. It's like, are you sure? He's like, yep, that's the only PE option during fourth period. So reluctantly, I said, all right, I'll take it. So I enrolled in weight training. Now, first of all, you need to know, growing up, my family did not once ever have a gym membership. I never went to the gym. I didn't know what the gym workout looked like. I don't even know what those things do. I had no clue, all right? So here I am signed up for weight training class. Now there were three things off the bat that made me very aware that I was not going to fit in this class. First of all, day one I show up and I walk into the locker room to get changed into my PE clothes and I am the only person in the girls' locker room. Oh no thought, well, maybe maybe it's a small class. You never know. Thing two that made me really aware that I was not going to fit into this class is I walked out of the locker room and I knew I was supposed to be in the weight room, which is where we started, and I had no idea where that was at. Here I am, a junior in high school who should probably know your campus a little bit, and I didn't know where to go. It's like, "Mm, left, right, straight. Eventually, I, I meandered around a little bit, and eventually I found it. Thing three that made me really, really aware that I was not going to fit into this class. As I crossed the threshold of that doorway, it was not just a doorway threshold. It was like crossing the threshold into Testosterone City. I kid you not, there was like every wrestler in the school was in that room. Every huge football player was in that room. And they were all looking at me. And I was looking back at them. Didn't really feel like I fit. Now, all of those things piled up, you would have thought I would have turned around and walked back to my guidance counselor's office and be like, give me something else to do fourth period. But there was a little small voice in my head that I chose to listen to, and it said, let's just play this one out. So I did. I don't listen to that voice very often. So day one, my really big buff gym teacher is teaching us the safety procedures and and what to do and how to lift in this machine and that machine. And I realize as he's going through, the class is kind of just checking out. Like, yeah, okay. Mm." And I want to feel like I fit in too, so I'm kind of like half checking out. But they're checking out because they started going to the gym when they were teething. I'm checking out because I kind of want to fit in-ish. I have no idea. I don't know what to do. I don't know what that pin does. I have a thousand questions, but I'm not going to ask them. (laughs) I didn't want the class to know I didn't belong there, as if there was anything about me that said I did. 
day two of the class rolls around and we're partnered up and our, our teacher says, you're gonna go from this machine to that machine every five minutes, we'll switch. So me and my partner, we were, our first station was the squat station where you have the bar, you normally put weights on the end and then you put it on your shoulder blades and you go down and, and squat, right? Yeah, so I have no idea what I'm doing. But my awesome partner, the gentleman that he is, says, ladies first. Ooh, goody, thank you, just what I wanted. So I step up, I grab this bar, I'm clueless. It's a 45 pound bar, there's no weights on it. I'm just like, I'm gonna see, you know, how much I can handle. We'll just start with the bar. Same thing to do. So I get set, I have no idea what set looks like. Get ready, and the moment that I start to bend my knees, <laughs> All of a sudden, I start to tip backwards. <laughs> and as I'm slow motion falling, I realize there's something about this that's not right. This doesn't seem right. And my partner realizes I'm falling backwards, and he kind of goes to haphazardly catch me, and the bar goes all cattywampus and almost smacks him in the face. And there was just, there was nothing graceful about it, guys. And it was at that moment when the entire class had time to turn around and kind of look and stare, what's going on, it was at that moment that I realized they knew I didn't fit. It was at that moment. I survived the next 30 minutes of class. After class was over, I made my way to my guidance counselor's office, and I said, I don't fit in that class. I'm quitting. The kicker of the story is my guidance counselor says, don't worry, there's another PE class you can take at the same period. Seriously? <laughs> But here's the point, the truth in all of this for us today. When we don't feel like we fit somewhere, when we don't feel like a purpose is being served either for ourselves or for others, when we don't feel like we belong, we disengage, we pull back, and we quit. I quit. Now, if what you're quitting is weight training class, probably no major foul, no harm done, right? I'm a cardio girl anyway. You know, I like to run. But what happens and what is the consequence when the thing that we're quitting, the place where we feel like we don't fit, is church? What happens when the place that our friend feels like they don't fit is church? What's the consequence? What happens when the place that our, our sexually confused friend feels like they don't fit is church? And what happens when the place that our child feels like they don't fit is church? What then is the consequence? Because it's got to be bigger than just quitting weight training class, right? This morning we're talking about building blocks, finding where you fit. A Lego is designed by its manufacturers to fit with other Legos, right? doesn't matter if you buy the Star Wars kind or if you buy the, the Lord of the Rings kind. The Legos fit together and you can kind of make your own thing. Legos were designed to fit. As it pertains to us this morning and to our manufacturer, if you get nothing else out of this message, hear this. You fit. He created each of us with a plan and a purpose. He uniquely designed us to fit together. You fit. You have a place. Your friend has a place. Your neighbor has a place. We all fit. But in order to understand how, in order to understand how we fit, we must correctly understand what we are striving to fit into. 
there are many who haven't felt like they fit in the church because they're trying to fit into something that man has institutionalized, not something that God has designed and intended and envisioned. So when it comes to church, my heart this morning is that we would capture God's vision for church and fit into that, not just the institution of church. So question, if you were to close your eyes right now, and I was to say the word church, what image comes to mind? What do you see? What's it look like? Is it the building with the pitched roof, the walls, and, and the cross? Is it, is it a platform with the worship team on it? Is it the pews? Is it Pastor Dale's awesome face? Is it a message? What do you see when you envision church? See, well, there's nothing wrong with any of, of these images, the church or the platform or the pews or Pastor Dale. Nothing wrong with any of those images. The problem comes when our vision and image and definition of church stops with that image, when it stays there. Too often, we think of church in terms of how man has constructed it. And not often enough do we think of church in terms of how God intends it, of how God has designed it. In looking at Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, one of my favorite passages, favorite two verses, it says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I love this verse, and here's why. It says nothing about a platform. It says nothing about a pastor or a message. It says nothing about a building, but it says everything about church. Do you see it? See, I don't know about you, but I think when God said, do not give up meeting together, I don't think he had in mind a building. Do not give up meeting together. I don't think he had in mind a Sunday morning at 1045 a.m. I don't think that was his picture. See, the church in God's eyes is a people, not a place. A people, never a place. Although what I believe, I, I do believe that what we have here on Sunday mornings is awesome and on Wednesday nights is awesome. I believe that's, that's awesome and that's cool and that's healthy and that's good. But I believe if we're truly going to fit into church, and if our friends who don't know Jesus are truly going to fit into church, and if our city and our government is going to fit into church, then it is our responsibility to paint a bigger God picture of church beyond Sunday morning, beyond Wednesday night. Church is and has to be more than attendance more than service in a ministry. When God talks about meeting together, he's talking about fellowship. Fellowship, camaraderie, friendship, that's what fellowship is. But fellowship doesn't happen by just entering a building as someone else. There are many of you that I have not fellowshiped with today. I see you, we're here, but that's not fellowship. Fellowship is to do life with someone, to walk life with other people. That's fellowship. Finding where you fit 
when it comes to church means doing life together. And doing life together as God has intended to do life together. See, when my Bible talks about fellowship, not once in all of its pages or screen flips, whatever mode you're using, not once in all of its pages has it said that if you're 70 and older, then the best way to fellowship is for you to find the 70 and older crowd. You'll probably be most comfortable there. And not once in all of its pages has it said if you're middle-aged, best way for you to fellowship, hang out with the middle-aged people. That's how you should fellowship. Not once in all of its pages has it said that if you're a young parent, you, well, you should probably fellowship with the young parents because you have kids and life is crazy and it's sometimes inconvenient for us other groups. You should probably just fellowship with your young parents. It's never said that. And it's never said once in all of its pages that kids, youth, young adults, that you better just stay in your, in your lane and go to your rooms. And you fellowship with people your own age because no one else has time for you. Not once. In all of its pages has the Bible ever talked about fellowship in that way. My Bible says let us not give up meeting together. If you were here in the last service, I stressed the us factor a lot. Who is the us? You are the us. And in this this message, I, I want you to hear, and I want you to take a look at it from a different angle. Who's in your us? Who have you included in your us? Who's in your circle? Who are you fellowshipping with? And who are you not? Who's held at a distance because they're in an inconvenience or they don't line up with my lifestyle? Who's in your us? See, us in the church, as God defines it, is 99 and older all the way down to the one week old, the one day old. God calls us to fellowship together from the oldest to the youngest. Not to show up in a place together, but to fellowship together, to walk life together, to encourage and do life. That means no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, know that you have a place. You have a responsibility in the us, in the church. Because you were designed by our maker, like a Lego piece, to fit. The other reality in the us is this. For all the young people in the room, there was a lot of them up here, but there's a lot more of you out there as well. Young people, the older generation needs you. They need you to be a hope and a future. They need you to provide new insights into this ever-changing world that oftentimes they can't keep up with. And for goodness sake, they need you to teach them how to use their iPhone. (laughs) Don't ask them what generation it is. They don't even know what that means. All right? But in all honesty, young people, the older generation does need you. They need you to live an upright lifestyle. They need you to show them that you know who God is. They need you to show them that, that you can be counted upon when life gets hard. And in the same way, to the older generation, the young people need you. They need you to share your wisdom and your insight. They need to hear the story of what God's done in your life. They need to hear your heartbeat. What makes you passionate? What drives you? What is faithfulness to you? They need to hear that from you. But I need everyone to understand this this morning. No matter how old or how young you are, 
We do not succeed at fellowship just by showing up in the same building. We do not succeed at being the church that God has called it to be by just showing up in a building at the same time. To fellowship is to walk life with all people of all ages, of all backgrounds. To do life with all people of all ages and all backgrounds. We have to fit together. Not in silos, not in pieces, not in part, but together. We all need each other. I want to take a look at a passage in the Bible, Exodus 17, verses 8 through 13, and Pastor John referenced it a bit earlier. It says this. It says, The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. By the way, the Israelites are God's people, okay? Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So, Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Did you find where you fit in the story? Do you know who you are? First, for the young people in the room, let me point out where you are in this story. Let me point out some of your roles and your responsibilities in this story. Some of you have been called to be the Joshua's. To be the ones who go to the battlefield, pick up the sword, and fight for God's cause. Some of you have been called to be the Aaron's and the hers, who go up to the mountaintop with the older generation and hold their hands when they become weary, who are ready and attentive to their needs. In fact, I would argue that we're all called to be both and ready to be both. The older generation needs those with more vitality to rise up, so that when their spiritual war is raging, they have a name to call. They know who you are. What I've experienced with with the younger generations oftentimes is that they have the vitality, they have the energy, they're ready, they're set, they'll go wherever they're told. But oftentimes, young people, we find ourselves saying, I'm ready, I'm ready, send me, send me. But who are we telling? We're telling the other young person. We're looking this way. We need to be looking and saying that to the older generation who is positioned to position us. See, you might be ready and available, but how will they know who you are in their weakest hour if we are not fellowshipping with them in their strongest? Young people, how will the older generation know who you are? How will they call you? How will they send you to the mountaintop or send you into the battlefield if they don't even know your name? Have we given them opportunity to know our name? It's all about fellowship and being present where you fit. So kids, teens, young adults, adults, the older generations need you to be present. The older generations need you to show up, to sit in their tent and to sit around their tables. 
our first responsibility is not just to run and charge into battle, nor is it to run up to the mountaintops. Our first responsibility is to sit and to listen with open ears and open hearts to their heartbeat. Young people, have you taken time to sit with the older generation and listen? Your responsibility is this as well, to trust that through fellowship, God has and is using the older generation and sometimes wiser generation to teach you, to guide you, and to position you. That is our first responsibility. In the same way, to the older generation, because we can't just let you off the hook, right? You have a role and a responsibility here as well. You also fit. See, it might be easy to claim amen for the young person, say, yes, they need to do that, and yes, they should do that, and yes, they should be this person. But it's a little bit harder to say amen, which means so be it for yourself when it says you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to be this person as well. So to the older generation, know that you also have a role and a responsibility and a call of God on your life in God's picture of church. We need some Moseses to rise up. We need some moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas to step up and to be the leaders in church. But let me explain leadership to you a little bit. If we're just looking at this passage, Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 13, and we say, yes, Moses was a leader. Here's what I need to do to to be a leader. We have a very limited view of what leadership looks like. Because in this passage, we see Moses telling Joshua where to go and calling Aaron and her to a place. And you go here and you go there and we'll do this and that's going to happen. And if that's your picture of leadership, let me tell you it's too small. It's not accurate. Because Moses' leadership did not start in this passage. It is not confined to this passage. Moses' leadership started long before Joshua could ever hold a sword. Moses' leadership started long before there was ever a war waging, long before there was ever an issue. Moses' leadership started with an invitation into his tent, saying, hey, Joshua, hey, Aaron, hey, her, come into my tent. Come sit at my table. Come, let's fellowship together. That's where leadership starts. He invited them in. And it was there that leadership started, not, not on the battlefield, not with a command and a demand. See, young people need some moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas who stand and pray for them with their hands lifted high. See, when Moses was on the mountaintop, what was he doing? He was praying. He was encouraging. That was not the time to be yelling, Moses, or Joshua, Joshua, look to the right. Joshua, watch out. Joshua, look to your left. Joshua, turn around. That was not the time. His job on that mountaintop, what was he doing? He was praying and he was encouraging. He was saying, God, I I ask you to, to defend him. I ask you to be on his right and his left. God, I encourage him. God, you've made him a man of God. Would you show up now? Would you fight on his behalf? He was praying and he was encouraging. It was not the time for critique and correction and direction. That was not it. See, adults, 
We need to lead out of relationship. We need to lead out of relationship. Sometimes we can see where a young person is going wrong. And we can be quick to jump on the train. Hey, that's not right. Hey, you need to look right. Hey, you need to look left. But we haven't taken time to consider where that young person is standing. Are they sitting at your table when we bring correction? Or are they standing on a battlefield of their own that you haven't taken time to see yet? Because if we're critiquing a young person while they're on a battlefield, it's just like us dogpiling on top of them. We have to lead out of relationship. So before we're quick to correct and critique, let's build the relationship to know really where you're standing, to really know where you're at. There is a time and there is a place to bring correction and direction. But there's, it's got to start from relationship. Additionally, Moses as a leader didn't only guide Joshua into the heat of the battle and direct Aaron and Hur to the top of the mountain, but he trusted and he had faith that Joshua could win. He believed in him. He trusted and he believed that Aaron and Hur would be useful to him on the top of the mountain. That's why he called their name. Adults, moms, dads, grandmas, and grandpas, we need you to believe that God is using and is going to use this younger generation. And he's going to use the younger generation in ways that he will not use you. They will do things that you will not do because you were not created to be them. You're created to be you. So I encourage you to know where you fit and to value that place. Truly value that place. Oftentimes the younger generation is not looking for a knight in shining armor to come fight their battle for them and win it for them. They're looking for adults who will stand on the sidelines with their arms lifted high no matter what. No matter if they're winning or no matter if they've fallen short. They're looking for some adults who will come with their arms lifted high, not their hands on their hips. Saying, do this, do that. See, when, when Joshua was falling short, when the Amalekites started to win and there were times, Moses lifted his hands higher. He didn't shout louder correction. He lifted his hands higher. What do we do when we see a young person falling short? What posture will we take? We need some Moseses who will truly believe by prayer and petition for the younger generation. Even when things go wrong. Even when they fall short. Even when they're losing the battle. I can tell you right now, I would not be the adult that I am today if it were not for the Moseses in my life in my adolescence. I wouldn't even be anywhere near who I am today. And when some of those adults met me, I was falling short. I was failing. I was slipping down a slippery slope. But the posture that they chose changed the direction of my battle, of my war. They chose to lift their hands high. They chose to believe. And when they weren't enough, they called more adults and said, hey, can we put some more hands in the air? Can we pray even harder? Can we believe even more for this person? They fought for me. They pursued me. 
there's a statistic that I heard my sophomore year of high school. And it said that three out of four students who were raised in the church, three out of four would fall away from the church never to return again. I heard that statistic my sophomore year of high school, and I sat there and I was like, that's not true. That can't be true. It's got to be so fake. That's just a statistic thrown out there so to, to scare youth pastors, to scare youth kids leaders, to scare parents. It's not true. The second time I heard that statistic, I was a junior in high school. I still didn't believe it. Nah. Someone made that up. The third time I heard that statistic, I was a senior in high school. I looked to my left, and I looked to my right, and I wondered where all my friends went. Because the people that were sitting with me my sophomore year and my junior year started to fall away, started to drop like flies. Where did they go? I started to believe that statistic a little more. And as I considered who fell away from the church, who decided this wasn't worth their time, I believe there's two reasons that happened. One, those people never truly found where they fit. Those young people never found, how to, found out how to be a Joshua. They never found out how to be an Aaron and a Her. But I also believe that some of the reason was because the adults around them never figured out how to fit, um, how to fit in the church as they were called to. They never found where they fit. They never figured out how to be a Moses to that young person. See, when we don't sit where we're called to fit, people fall away. Pieces of the family get disconnected. So, grandmas and grandpas, the younger generation needs you. Do not disqualify yourself because years have passed because they walk faster than you. The younger generation needs you. My first job was at a retirement home, and I loved it. I loved hearing the stories. I loved hearing the heartbeat of the older generation. I loved showing up on days when they said, it's our anniversary. How many years? 50. Awesome. How many years? 60. Sweet. What? How many years? 65. What? How did you do it? If I could have quit my job and just sat at the table with them to hear their stories, I would have, if they would have paid me for that, but they wouldn't. The, old, the younger generation wants to hear your story. They want to hear your heartbeat. They want to know your rhythm. How do you get into that rhythm? Don't assume that they're disinterested. God has given each and every one of us, a plan and a purpose. And every day that we're alive, we still have a purpose. And part of that purpose is to speak life through relationship into the lives of those younger than us, those with open ears and open hearts. Parents. Who's a parent in here? Raise your hand. Who's got a kid or a student in the home right now? Awesome. Parents. Well, I recognize... That life is chaotic, right? You're going here to there, and you got this thing planned and that thing planned, and you have a diaper to change, and you have this and that, and I get it. Life is chaotic. 
But please hear God's heart and call on you as parents. Acts 20, 28. It says, keep watch over yourselves, a.k.a. your family and your kids. Keep watch over yourselves and, I love the word and, and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his blood. And moms, dads, you are part of that and. See, the new norm of our society, maybe it's not even new, just the norm of our society now is divorce, is broken families, broken relationships. And our kids pay a high price for that. We have sons that enter this place that have no father. Sons that that don't know what it means to be a man of God because there is no man in their home. Fathers, would you consider being a father not just to your son, but to the sons that God has put in this church? Mothers, there are daughters that are walking into this place that don't know what it means to see herself the way that God sees her, that doesn't know what it means to love herself because her mom doesn't even love herself. Mothers, would you consider being a mother to the daughters that walk into this place? You have a place. You have a purpose. You take your place out of this church. You decide not to fit where God has called you to fit. Someone gets hurt. Someone gets disconnected. College students, middle school students, high school students, elementary students, young adults, singles, you also have a place. You are not just to be the ones that receive prayer, that receive encouragement, that that receive all this stuff, but you are called to be the warriors You were called to be the ones that go up to the mountain and lift the hands of the older generation. You were called to be the ones who set an example for the little ones in the nursery and in the preschool room and your neighbors and your friends on your campuses. You have a place and you have a purpose. I want to close with this passage. Acts 2, 17 and 18. Pastor read it last week. I'm going to read it again because it's just so good. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Who is not in your circle? Who is not in your us? Who are you saying, you know what, I'll just stay and stay in my own lane with my own people over here? Because when we look at that, then we can see what part of God's heart is missing. I don't want to miss any part of God's prophecy. I don't want to miss any part of God's vision. I don't want to miss any part of God's dream. Who's in your circle and who's missing? Because God wants us all to be connected. If you don't show up, pieces start floating away from the family. Be a connector. Be a connection point to make sure that that doesn't happen. Kids, youth, moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, young adults, be that connection. God does not separate the generations, so may we make sure that we don't separate the generations in our lifestyle. 